With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. And hello, Hawkeye fans. Welcome to another edition of the HN Podcast. This is our kind of our uh, flagship, if you will, podcast, the main podcast we do weekly, uh, every Monday. I'm usually joined by Andrew Downs, but unfortunately, Andrew is under the weather today. He sent me a text early this morning. It is Monday April the 20th at about 11.35 a.m. Central Time. Andrew wanted everybody to know that it is not COVID-related. He is just not feeling well. And I wanted to push forward with this podcast today because, as we've been finding most Mondays, we have plenty to talk about um, in terms of uh, you know sports talk as it relates to Hawkeye sports, Hawkeye athletics. So uh, I wanted to get this in and keep us on a regular schedule. Uh, tomorrow I will be, po- I will be posting a podcast that I did, that I recorded last week, uh, with Aaron Cantman, former Hawkeye, Appleton Park- Parkersburg, uh, Green Bay Packer, Jacksonville Jaguar, um, really, really fun podcast that I, that I did. And I'm going to post that tomorrow on Tuesday, April the 21st. And then Wednesday is our mailbag podcast. And then usually after that is our prospect podcast, uh, somewhere between Thursday and Saturday. So we're running about four podcasts a week and I wanted to stay on schedule here and not, you know, back jam, backlog, whatever you want to say, the podcast having like two in one day or something like that. So wanted to stay on schedule. Um, and I hope Andrew feels better and can join us again next Monday. Uh, cause we're going to continue to do these every Monday. Um, these are the podcasts that are replacing Miller and Dace. And I know what you're thinking. These idiots can't replace the legends of John Miller and Steve Dace, but we do what we can and we hope you guys are enjoying these. And uh, they serve as somewhat of a distraction or an escape from our everyday lives right now where we're uh, quarantined with the COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic. So hopefully these things do a little bit to kind of take your mind away from that a little bit, you know, whether it's economics or family health or any of that stuff. We hope you're all doing well um, and wanted to continue these to 
at least when there aren't any games or competitions being played uh, for Hawkeye sports, we can at least talk about stories related to Hawkeye sports. And I thought we would start, I wrote down, uh, we've got several items here. Um, we had Kirk Ferentz's Zoom press conference last week, last Wednesday, I believe it was. Uh, on Friday, Kathleen Doyle was drafted into the WNBA, former Hawkeye women's basketball star and Big Ten Player of the Year. Uh, Monday, we found out that Michael Kemmerer uh, of um, the wrestling team, All-American wrestler, was given a sixth year. Uh, Sunday, we found out that Cordell Pemsel, former Iowa and Dubuque Waller basketball standout, uh, is transferring to Virginia Tech. And then obviously this week, uh, starting on Thursday, we will begin the NFL draft virtually uh, with Tristan Wirfs and A.J. Epinesa, former Hawkeyes, uh, participating in that virtually. So I went through and got a couple of mock drafts and looked where some guys have, uh, at least a couple guys have um, Hawkeyes projected to go. And I'm going to write more on this this week, too. So this won't be the only NFL draft coverage. But I wanted to hit on that in this podcast. Andrew and I mentioned that last week and wanted to get to it this week. Um, And I believe that runs Thursday through Saturday. The first round is on Thursday. And then I don't remember how they do it. Second and third rounds on Friday, maybe. And then the rest of the draft through round seven on Saturday. I'm I'm not sure how it breaks down. But anyway, that will start Thursday uh, and then carry on. I know it goes through Saturday. So let's start with Kirk Ferentz's Zoom teleconference or press conference, or however you want to classify what we did or what we do on Zoom now. Boy, Zoom's probably doing really well right now. Uh, I would imagine we're going to have, we're going to get hit with some serious subscription fees for Zoom coming up and other uh, platforms that are similar to Zoom that'll, that allow groups to meet and, uh, and, um, hold press conferences and things like that. I was watching, and I'll get to the, the WNBA draft uh, with Kathleen Doyle, but I was watching them uh, virtually hold that draft. And I think the NFL needs to tighten things up a little bit. There was a serious delay uh, drag when they were interviewing players from their homes. And I think that needs to be tightened up. We'll see if technology will allow them to do that. But anyway, switching to uh, Kirk Ferentz's Zoom press conference, we'll call it. Um, and we have a story on HawkeyeNation.com from last week if you want the written version of this. But um, I think a couple of the main topics that Coach Ferentz hit on, uh, at least which were interesting to me, because he reiterated that the X's and O's aren't something that they're focused on right now. They just, he doesn't see the value in, in meeting about hardcore football and things like that right now. He's more concerned with guys staying in shape and being mentally healthy through this pandemic rather than, you know, installing uh, his offense and defense and, and, you know, worrying about the X's and O's aspect of football which I can certainly understand and he said he's probably his program's probably in the minority in that regard um and maybe it is but you know you got you have to uh you have to be who you are and that's who he is and that's his approach and you know you have to trust him on that and we'll we'll all see how this how we come out on the other side of this pandemic uh in terms of you know sports and live sports and fan fans being allowed in and all of that stuff. But um, I think 
at least for me, I understand where Coach Ferentz is coming from, and I have no issue with the way he's approaching this. But um, he did talk about one aspect that I asked about, and it, it kind of was it piggybacked from Coach Ferentz having a teleconference, I believe it was two weeks ago now, or maybe three weeks ago now, and then the following week, it would have been three weeks ago, because three weeks ago, Kirk Ferentz had a teleconference. Then two weeks ago, Gary Barter, the athletic director, had a Zoom press conference. And then last week, Kirk, Coach Ferentz came back with his Zoom press conference. And the reason they do that and, and they can't just have a teleconference is for TV stations. They can use that video from a Zoom press conference. They really can't use video of a teleconference. <laughs> be, uh, it wouldn't work. They would just have the audio for that. But anyway, I digress. Um, so two weeks ago, Coach Ferentz brought up the time frame of how long it would take. Realistically, he met with strength, strength and conditioning coach Chris Doyle about realistically what would be the window time frame it would take for the football team once back together to get to the point where they could play a game. And Coach Ferentz, after meeting with Coach Doyle, they came up with an eight-week outline basically the first four weeks strength and conditioning getting the athletes getting the players in condition to be able to practice full full out you know full speed hit you know practice football um at full speed so it would be four weeks of strength and conditioning and then coach Ferris said he would like four weeks of football once they got back to full speed. So you're talking about an eight week window. And I think we talked about this on the podcast previously, you come back July 1st, you have about eight weeks before the season was scheduled to start in August, whether or not that's going to happen. It remains to be seen. It's probably unlikely that we're going to start football at the beginning of September when it was scheduled, but you never know. Regardless, that's the time frame that coach Ferentz would want. I asked that question the following week, to Gary Barta about if that's realistic, if they can realistically, you know, or, or basically what his thoughts were on that eight week window that coach Ferentz has brought up, brought up because in Gary's opening statements, he thought he kind of addressed it saying that, you know, it might be shorter than that, maybe a six week window. So then we got to coach Ferentz again last week on the zoom. And I asked him about that because he reiterated in, I believe his opening statement or or answering another question that ideally they would like eight weeks, but he would make six weeks work. And I asked him about that and he was pretty, he really would like the eight weeks, but whether or not they're going to be able to do that will remains to be seen. He talked about, uh, you know, the OTAs in the NFL and the ability to maybe get back and do it like, just kind of progressively do strength and conditioning with getting back on the football field at the same time, not going full speed football practice, but just kind of OTAs, if you're familiar with them in the NFL, where it's strength and conditioning and then lighter football work. So that's a possibility as well. He still preferred the eight-week window. If they're going to only get six weeks, they're pretty committed to four weeks of strength and conditioning to get in football shape, whether or not they practice football, uh, you know, less than full speed during that time is another question, but um, he would also like the four weeks to get his football team ready to play a game. He says, you know, two weeks you're taking away. See if I can uh, find a quote here. 
Uh, here's the quote from Kirk Ferentz from our story uh, on Hawkeye Nation. And again, you guys can find this um, on, our, on our Hawkeye Nation uh, website. And if you go to features and click on that tab, you'll be able to find it in there along with all the other content we've been doing recently. We're trying to run about two stories a day. We've been pretty good with that since the pandemic started and sports were shut down. We've been running about two or more stories per day, pieces of content, sometimes podcasts. Uh, so please check us out. We appreciate your giving us some consideration when you're trying to uh, consume your Hawkeye or get your Hawkeye fixed. But here's the quote from Kirk Ferentz in terms of if the window that he would prefer of eight weeks were condensed to six weeks. It's really hard to expect your team to execute and play well if you haven't had some quality practice time leading up to it. The bottom line is the quality of play can be compromised a little bit with every cut that gets made, but we really need to be careful. It doesn't compromise the players, their well-being. And I think that's ultimately what everybody wants. You don't want to put these players at a disadvantage. You get them out there on the field before they're back to, you know, the condition they need to be to practice full speed. Then you're dealing with injuries. And then you've got guys in there playing maybe before they should um, or, you know, are physically ready to play. It just, it's, it's a, it could be a bad um, snowball effect. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, and Ferentz went on to say, there's a big difference between pro athletes and college athletes. And this is in respect to the OTAs and, and running it that way. Pro athletes are more mature. Their skill sets are a lot more accomplished, Ferentz said. We may have a handful of guys that fit that caliber of qualities on our team, but most of our guys are climbing the ladder in college football. So we've got to be careful about comparing a guy who's 20 years old versus whom, a guy who might be 26, who's four or who's a four or five year veteran. And that's true. You can't just treat these college players like pro players. They're, they're in a development phase of their careers, um, you know, on top of what they, they did in high school. So some good points I thought there from coach Ferentz on when football does get back uh, and they do reconvene as a team, what type of time frame it's going to take before they're football ready, football game ready, I should say. Um, and there, were t there was talk last week about this season starting perhaps in February or March of 2021 if they can't, you know, if, if this pandemic continues and the virus continues to spread and it's da too dangerous to have the teams back together in the fall. Um, have fans, uh, the fans are, that's a whole other issue. And we'll, uh, he, he sp spoke about that too, and I'll get to that. But just on the topic of perhaps playing the season beginning next winter or spring, um, I was a little bit surprised to say or to hear Coach Ferentz pretty much acknowledge that that's a possibility. <laughs> um, so he's obviously heard that. And usually when these stories are floated out there by national uh, college football reporters, it's something that they've heard, uh, you know, and it has some uh, legs to it, so to speak. So, but here's my thought on this, and, and this is also based on what we talked to Gary Barta about. He is paying everybody in his department or plans to pay everybody in his department through this fiscal year, which ends at the end of June. Then we move to the next fiscal year starting July 1st. I think college sports, college athletics 
They're going to do whatever it takes to play a college football season within the next fiscal year, which begins July 1st, 2020, and runs through the end of June 2021. Wherever they can fit that in, and so they can get that in the fiscal year budget, is what they're going to try to do, whether that's September, October, November, so on and so forth, whether they started in April and finish in June, they're going to, they're going to try to get this college football season and, and make the revenue from that. It is the front porch, as we've talked about on this podcast. It is what fuels economically an athletic department. Without it, we're going to have some major problems in college sports, especially for some of the smaller schools, slower levels, they need that revenue. So I think whatever they do, they're going to try to get that season in within that fiscal year. Again, July 1st, 2020 to the end of June, June 30th of 2021, they're going to try to play a college football season. The question would be then, and Kirk talked about this, Coach French talked about this, um, Here's, here's one of his quotes. The first question you have to ask is how many games do we play? We have, and this is in, re, in regards to if you were to play, say, February, starting in February or uh, March or April, whatever it is, in that spring, end of winter period, and then you came back for the next season, do you start that with strength and conditioning in June after they've just played a season? They're already in condition, obviously. What is the time frame? And that's where Coach Ferentz kind of came down. What goes on in between? If you're playing two seasons in one calendar year, what are the ramifications of that? And then his quote was, the first question you have to ask is, how many games do you play? We'd have to be very careful there. I don't know the answer. Can you play 24 games in a calendar year? My guess is that you probably could. But let's say if you did that, let's say that's the scenario that's in front of you. It would dramatically alter what happens between the two periods, meaning the two seasons. And you don't know how hard you could train or how hard you could practice. All those things are going to be up on the board to be discussed. That's probably the most radical concept that would, that would be out here, but it's for sure a possibility, I would imagine. So that's kind of what we may be facing here, where you have two seasons in a calendar year, overlapping with basketball season, perhaps baseball season. I mean, there are just so many um, – and what's going on here is, is, you know, the coaches and the athletic directors and the NCAA, they're all modeling this and doing – you know, producing different models based on timeframes and, and, and timelines of when they're going to get back together as teams. So something definitely to keep an eye on there. Uh, and then I wrote in this piece that, you know, Coach Ferentz is still um, – talking about, um, you know, not focusing on the X's and O's. And I'll read you a quote from him on that. We'll get to the X's and O's when time permits. We'll probably, we're probably in the minority in that regard, but I'm not convinced right now that football meetings per se are going to be all that productive. So it's really kind of a putting it on the back burner at this point. And then he went in, these were the things that I pulled out. He talked about the NFL draft and worse and I don't know. And I'll, produce content on this week, maybe some videos, things like that from the Zoom press conference that we'll have on the site. But I want to move on to other topics here on this podcast and not take too long. Um, but he was asked kind of, you know, how much this missing spring ball and, you know, 
not having, not knowing when you're, you know, how much time they're going to have to practice between the time they reconvene and the season, how much that would affect his first year, projected first year starting quarterback, Spencer Petras. And uh, Kirk said, every conversation, at least for most teams, starts with the quarterback position. And if there's any advantage gained by this loss that we've had on the field, it'd be if you had an experienced quarterback, if you had a two-year starter coming back, that probably plays to your benefits. Benefit, excuse me. So, yeah, I think we all kind of, you know, um, felt that way or kind of had that thought in our mind that this was going to hurt Spencer Petras. Um, just not getting the on-field reps, but he won't be the only first-year starting quarterback or young quarterback that will be um, handicapped by not having spring practice. So it is what it is, as they say. Uh, Kirk also talked about Coy Cronk, graduate transfer from Indiana, and him not getting uh, a chance to uh, work in the spring and him also maybe having a limited amount of time to prepare for the season whenever that may be. Kirk said that Kronk is back uh, at home, and um, this was a quote from from Coach Ferentz on Kirk Kronk. He is making good prog. He was ma- he was making good progress before spring break. We're really happy with the way things were going. The good news is the physical ther- therapist he's working with back home has a good relationship with Cami Powell, our trainer, and it sounds like sounds like his rehab's gone very very well. So good news there because they're going to need Coy Cronk on the offensive line whenever they do come back and play games. So I'm going to cut it off there with the Coach Ferentz Zoom. Uh, there are more uh, items in that Zoom press conference, as I said, but I will hit on some of those on the site this week. Uh, a lot of it has to do with the NFL draft. So we will move on from there. Uh, the second item I had written down was Kathleen Doyle to the WNBA, uh, which is a uh, a great story. Uh, <laughs> she uh, She's fun to watch play. She's really just got a lot of energy. And I think it's interesting when you look at her being the 14th overall pick in the WNBA draft that was Friday um, by the Indiana Fever. You're looking at uh, she, she's the, only the 14th Hawkeye chosen into the league since it began in 1996. Um, and if you think about Megan Gustafson, who arguably is the most, um, well, what's the word I'm looking for? Most uh, recognized, most uh, awarded player in Iowa women's basketball history. She was the 17th overall pick in last year's draft. Kathleen Doyle went three spots higher than she did, which uh, is pretty amazing. We have a story on our site on this, too, if you want to check it out. It's got all the um, the WNBA draft picks from Iowa through the years. Um, right now, it's three rounds and 36 picks. It was a deeper draft, and there were more teams back. But Doyle is the fifth highest Hawkeye ever picked where she went, 14th. That's the fifth highest ever by a Hawkeye. Only behind, in 1997, the first draft, you had Tony Foster and Tia Jackson went eight and nine in the draft. In 1998, Tangela Smith went 12th in the draft. So those are three of the, three of the, the, um, the four players ahead of her were drafted in 1997 and 98. And then you had Sam Logic, 
who went with the 10th pick in the 2015 draft to Atlanta, and then Kathleen Doyle. So that's some pretty heady stuff that she got picked that high, um, and she's kind of got the all-around game that will allow her to maybe stick in the league. I think she's got a pretty good shot. She's a pretty good defensive player. Um, she's got a well-rounded offensive game, and she's a gamer. She plays hard. Um, you look at uh, – she was – if you look at this past season, she was top 50 nationally in five statistical categories, including sixth in nation in total assists, seventh in assists per game, 19th in free throws made, 37th in total points, and 49th in points per game at 18.1. So um, – she was a third-team All-American by the AP and the U.S. Basketball Writers Association. Uh, the, w, the Women's Basketball Coaches Association chose her for its 10-member All-American squad this year, um, overshadowed quite a bit by Megan Gustafson, and rightfully so. Megan's career was just tremendous, and uh, obviously her success. It's unfortunate Kathleen didn't get a chance to, to maybe lead this team in the postseason because of the pandemic and we'll never know kind of what Iowa could have done. There's a good chance that Iowa would have hosted those first two rounds and Iowa's got whatever it is, a 36, 34, 36 game winning streak at home. So good chance it would have made the, the sweet 16 again, but a lot of what ifs would happen when, when sports shut down for the coronavirus. So um, yeah. So Kathleen Doyle going to the WNBA draft. I figured we'd hit on that. Um, and then we'll go to, Let's see here. Let's go to Michael Kemmerer. And he is, uh, I'm sorry, going to the front page of the site. As we just posted this, that he is granted, Michael Kemmerer was granted a sixth year of eligibility. Um, and he's an All-American and uh, was headed Let's see, NCAA granted the three-time All-American three all clock extension resulting from a redshirt year during initial year of enrollment and hardship waiver. It's NCAA bylaw 12.8.1.7, if you guys are uh, counting at home. <laughs> so, he'll, so that means I was going to have nine All-Americans back from its 2020 team. Uh, Lugo, Pat Lugo will be the only one not returning of the 10 All-Americans um, that, uh, that wrestled this past year. Uh, so that's, that's pretty amazing that Michael Kemmerer gets to come back and you got to figure Iowa would have won a national championship this year. Nothing they can do about that, but boy, is it well positioned coming back next season. Um, and I'll read you the quote from Kemmerer, uh, from the Iowa press release. I'm thankful and already Already ready to compete again, Kemmerer said. We did so many things and met every challenge we faced last year. We had a great team and a lot of fun doing it. We are bringing a lot of guys back, but it is a new season now, so we're going to have to go out and earn it again. You don't take your accomplishments from last year into next year, so we have to look forward. But we have a good team, and it's going to be a fun year. And, um, yeah, that's just, I mean, huge, huge news. And let me do something here. Sorry, I'm still recording, but uh, got to bear with me here. I'm a one-man show this week. Um, let's see. Uh, so Kemmerer's accomplishments in 19, 2019-20, 
he was a Big Ten runner-up. Um, I believe he lost to Mark Hall in the Big Tens after beating him during the regular season. Uh, he was the number two seed going into the NCAAs, overall 15-1. and one. Was, well, He was ranked number one uh, at, at one point. Uh, 10 of his 15 wins were against ranked opponents, uh, six wins against the top 10. Uh, this is wrestling at 174, by the way. Um, yeah, his lone loss was eight to five to Mark Hall in the big 10 finals. 13 dual wins was tops on the team, uh, scored 54 dual points. Second on the team scored bonus points in 10 of his 15 wins. 75 career wins is the most among active Hawkeyes. And he will certainly add to that the next year around or the next go around. Yes. He missed the 2018-19 season with an injury. Um, and then also missed uh, 15-16. He redshirted as well. Um, so, yeah, great news to hear that Michael Kemmerer got another year of eligibility. Next up on the docket is Cordell Pemsel. And um, for all the folks – that were saying that Cordell was above his level playing at Iowa. He will be going to Virginia Tech, another high major program in the prestigious ACC conference. So apparently the critics were not, uh, he, he proved them wrong by going to another high major, what have you, power six school. So Good, happy for uh, Cordell Pemsel. Should get a shot to play there. They did only have one senior on their roster this past year. But they lost a couple of key performers to the transfer portal. Redshirt freshman Landers Noli the second and Isaiah Wilkins both entered the transfer portal in March. So that should give, um, you know. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. I don't know if you guys are experiencing this as well. But uh, the page is locking up on Hawkeye Nation. It's happening happening to me a lot today. I'll have to check in with the IT people on that. But, uh, yeah, first-year head coach Mike Young, a little bit of struggles last year, replacing Buzz Williams, who left for Texas A&M. Buzz had put the Virginia Tech program uh, back into uh, national relevancy after it was pretty much a non-factor for years. Uh, But, Last year, it finished 16 and 16 overall and 7 and 13 in the ACC conference. So Cordell will go there and probably should have a chance to play. I'm sure he's looked into it. I don't think he's visited, but Iowa did play down there. So he knows, he does know the arena and knows kind of what it is like down there. So we wish Cordell best. Uh, Cordell Pencil played in 96 career games at Iowa. Um, Averaged 5.9 points, 4.3 rebounds, and 1.2 assists. He really came on at the end of this this past season and I thought gave Iowa some valuable minutes down the stretch of the season. Thought he could have been a contributor next year, uh, but probably would have been down the rotation. So this is a good chance for the former Dubuque, Dubuque Waller, 
all-state performer to um, go to another school and, and see how he can do as a graduate assistant or a graduate assistant. graduate transfer. He will be eligible immediately for Mike Young and the Hokies. So we'll get a chance to keep an eye on what he did, um, similar to uh, Isaiah Moss leaving and going to Kansas last year. Uh, another Hawkeye prospect or a Hawkeye former Hawkeye who goes to another high major program. So that speaks well of what's going on here uh, in Iowa City in terms of basketball when you have guys going to other power six high major programs uh, out of Iowa because they want playing time or for whatever other reason. So good, good to see there. Um, and this, lastly here, we'll go into um, talk a little bit about the NFL draft. Big week for the Hawkeyes again last year. You had two first-round picks when tight ends T.J. Hawkinson uh, and Noah Fant went 8-20, and 20 respectively, to Detroit and Denver. Uh, we'll see what happens this year. A lot of the mocks I'm looking at have E.J. Epinesa slipping down into that second round. Coach Fantz addressed that last week in the Zoom press conference saying he's, you know, and I agree with him wholeheartedly on this. If you're putting too much stock into the combine, don't completely dismiss it, but watch the film of AJ Epinesa. Watch what he did against top competition all season, including Jackson from USC, who some are projecting uh, as a first-round offensive tackle uh, at a USC going in this year's NFL draft. Epinesa owned him in the Holiday Bowl. It was, it was a mismatch. So... If you're watching the film and you look at A.J., he's a first-round pick. Well, if he goes to the second round, man, I hope my Jets can snag him. I'm not sure they need that help defensively, or at least the picks could be spent probably in more in better areas of need. But the guy's a player, and he's a first-round pick. And, yeah, I'm a bit of a homer on this, but A.J. FNS is going to give you a solid NFL career, and it's a pretty much – guaranteed i would say so um guaranteed may be too strong of a word but uh it's um he's a safe bet let's say that so i would definitely go with him other than trying to maybe reach in that late first round if you're looking for a player uh tristan works will be a first round pick He's going to end up probably in the top 10 it seems like the new york giants and the cardinals are the team's most uh, he's most connected to, but I did write a story last January, January of 2019, on the um, on, on the wild inaccuracy of these mock drafts <laughs> that take place that we all buy into and have fun with. They are fun to look over and kind of you know read, and especially now past time. But uh, just keep in mind that these are guys that aren't NFL player personnel people that are trying to project where they think NFL player personnel people will select these players. And that is often um, inaccurate. And there are trades and there are a lot of factors that go into this. And this is even a, a stranger year because of the lack of pro days and uh, individual workouts where these players could fly to teams and they could work them out individually with the pandemic. Most of that, that didn't happen. And I do have a story up on the site that I would encourage you guys to read about Christian Welch, Iowa's 
uh, middle linebacker from this past season, was he did not get invited to the combine, and he was really looking forward to pro day. And I think he would have tested very well and opened the eyes of pro scouts. And there's a story on what he's been doing to try to be proactive in promoting himself to NFL teams. It'll be interesting to see if anybody takes a shot at him draft-wise. I think he's – I would almost guarantee that he gets a free agent spot uh, somewhere and makes good. He's a 6'3", 230, 240, somewhere in there. I forget what he's listed at, but really runs well. Um, I think he's got a place in the NFL because he's a guy who can help out on all your special teams and then give you depth at the linebacker position. So encourage you to read that story. Some interesting comments from Christian Welch and then also Kurt Ferns talking about Christian Welch. Uh, so he's probably your sixth guy from Iowa on this board. But let's take a look at a couple of the mock drafts and where these people I went with. Let's start with, I went with seven round mock drafts. A lot of uh, of these writers will do a first or second or maybe even go into the third round, but only a few go as far as seven deep in terms of mocking. Uh, so I just picked a couple that were came up quick when I Googled and ones that I checked out as seven round mock drafts. Um, and the first one I will reference is from CBS and the writer is RJ White. And he had Tristan Wirfs going number eight overall to the Arizona Cardinals. And this one makes sense. He, Tristan has been linked to the Cardinals quite a bit this offseason. They are looking uh, for a tackle in this draft, uh, and his name makes a lot of sense there. Uh, he would go into, uh, you know, a pretty high-powered offense with Cliff Kingsbury and, and – um, Who's the quarterback? Why am I forgetting his name? I apologize. Uh, the first round of – or the first pick of last year's draft who was on my fantasy team. Um, <laughs> Tyler Murray. Uh, I was going to Google it, and I, it came to my mind before I was done. Sorry, my mind is mushy. Uh, again, I'm flying solo. It's hard to look things up and uh, not have a break from talking. And giving you guys a break from – my talking, which you probably would like, and we will get to here shortly because this is the last topic of this podcast. Um, so yeah, Tristan works number eight to the Cardinals. Again, this is CBS RJ White. Um, we talked about AJ Epinesa. He has him going in round two, pick 38 overall to the Buffalo Bills. In round three, he has cornerback Michael Ojemudia going number 82 overall to the Dallas Cowboys. And this one I found interesting. He has Geno Stone going in round four, pick number 117 overall to Tampa Bay. So that's good news if this mock comes out. I think Stone's going to get picked. I know people have been down on him, didn't have a great combine. Uh, definitely was one of those polarizing guys uh, about whether or not he should have come out uh, or come back to Iowa for his senior year. He's going to get a chance. He'll get a chance in the NFL. And uh, R.J. White of CBS has him going in the fourth round to Tampa. Now we go to the NFL.com seven-round mock. Chad Reeder, or Reuter, I'm not sure how you pronounce his last name, and I apologize for that. He has Werfs going number five overall to the New York Giants. The Giants currently have the fourth pick, so he has them trading back a spot to take Werfs with the fifth pick, which makes a lot of sense. 
But again, either way, you look at either one of these mocks, you have Worfs going in the top 10. It sounds like most mocks have him going in the top 10, though that's usually pretty accurate. Those first, you know, 10 to 20 picks often, they get pretty close to being accurate. So I would, I would tune in early on Thursday to the NFL draft because I think you're going to see an Iowa player, that player being Tristan Wirfs, picked pretty quickly. Um, so Chad Reeder um, from the NFL.com has Epinesa going number 46 overall. This would also be round two to Denver. So he has him eight spots behind where CBS RJ, RJ White has him going. Um, so 46th overall, you're going to tell me A.J. Epinesa is the 46th best player in this draft? I'm not buying it. Um, then he's got Michael Ojemudia going number 96, so 14 spots behind where White had him, but still in the third round to the Kansas City Chiefs. Interestingly enough, uh, Chad Reeder and R.J. White both have Geno Stone going in round four, number 117 overall to Tampa. That's very interesting to me. We'll see if those guys are right. And at the very least, we should expect to hear Geno Stone's name called somewhere in that four to seven round range. He's got a pretty wide window there. So hopefully it's sooner rather than later for the Pennsylvania native. And then Chad Reeder has Nate Stanley also going in the fourth round, number 136 overall to his home state. Green Bay Packers. <laughs> and Nate, although he grew up in Wisconsin and is a Bears fan, which would make that dynamic really interesting. Um, but yeah, that would be five Hawkeyes in the first four rounds and the first 136 picks of this draft if Chad Reader is right. Reader right. So looking forward to, to having something like the NFL draft this week coming up at the end of the week, starting Thursday, as I said and covering three days and having Hawkeyes involved in that, that will be nice for people uh, looking to um, get some normalcy. The NFL draft is somewhat, is, is normal. It will be somewhat what different being virtual. And I will miss them doing uh, what they plan to do in Las Vegas, which was supposed to be this year's host for the NFL drafts draft. And that was boating players across. I forget the name of the casino, but the water, way in front of the casino to the stage they were going to put the pit put the players in boats and sail them motor them across the water to the stage which will be unfortunate that we won't get to see that but maybe we'll get to see that at the next draft (laughs) and uh that should be a lot of fun but um again i thank you guys for joining us for the hn podcast uh, my name's Rob Howe, publisher of Hawkeye Nation. I may have even forgot to mention that at the top of this pod. And uh, I apologize if I did, but now you know who you've been listening to for the last however many minutes. Again, I apologize for the one-man show uh, and hope that Andrew Downs uh, bounces back from his illness and is able to join us again on next Monday's HN podcast. Get well soon, Andrew, if you are listening to this. And um, I will be back tomorrow with a Hawkeye History podcast with Aaron Cantman. Wednesday, we'll do the HN Mailbag podcast. And then a to-be-determined Hawkeye Nation prospect podcast with an incoming recruit later in the week. So that's your four-podcast layout for this week. It is Monday, April the 20th. We're just after noon. uh, And 
we're going to sign off for this podcast. Thank you guys for listening and we will talk to you again soon.